We are continuing our series in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 6, until chapter 3, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 6, until chapter 3, verse 4. Um, Last week at the retreat, Pastor Sam spoke on chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and I'm continuing that, kind of going through a a decent chunk today, almost like about a full chapter's worth, and um, hopefully you will be able to see why and and how all of this fits together. But we're going to look at this in three sections, in three sections. So first, let me read verses 6 down through the first half of verse 10. It says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Let me stop there for a moment. Two weeks ago, Um, When I was talking about the second half of chapter 1, my message was entitled, A Foolish Message from Foolish Messengers. A Foolish Message from Foolish Messengers. And just to recap a little bit there, what I believe Paul was talking about in that first chapter of Corinthians is how the message of the gospel, the message of the Bible will be received, will be perceived as something that is foolishness in the eyes of the world. The Greeks, the Hellenistic culture at that time, thought the gospel was foolishness because they they didn't think it was philosophically sophisticated. It wasn't the kind of worldly wisdom that they were looking for, that they they sought in people like Aristotle and Socrates and, and, and people like that and Epicurus. They thought that it was foolishness. What? God died He came in human form, and then he rose from the dead. Utter nonsense, foolishness, foolishness according to the wisdom of the world. And also the Jews rejected the message as foolishness. Why? Because they were looking for power. They wanted a God who would come in miracles and fireballs that would blow up the Roman legions, blow Pilate right off of his seat, and then restore the kingdom unto Israel. They were tired of being kicked around by, by, by Babylon, Assyria, the Persians, the Romans, the Greeks, all these different empires. They wanted power. And the idea that the Messiah would be crucified in utter weakness in their eyes was inconceivable. And they found that message offensive. So whether Greeks or Jews, they considered the message to be foolishness. And foolishness sent from foolish messengers. But as we see in today's passage here, in verse 6, Paul says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. In other words, for those of us who have the Spirit of God, if you are a Christian, if you have the Spirit of God within you, we will see, we understand that the message of the gospel actually is true wisdom. It's not foolishness. It is the very wisdom of God. 
If you are mature, if you are in Christ, you will come to see that and understand that. This wisdom is a secret and hidden wisdom of God. This doesn't mean it's something that you need to like light a bunch of candles and kind of understand the secret stuff that nobody understands and, and only certain people are privileged to, like your Christian Illuminati or something like that. That's not what Paul is talking about. But what he's saying is it's a secret in, sen- in the sense that the world has not understood it. The world could not understand it. Again, to them, it was foolishness. It was offensive. But it was the wisdom of God that he had decreed before the ages, that Jesus would come and die upon the cross for our sins and be raised for our righteousness. Paul says nobody, none of the rulers of this age understood it. If they did, they would not have crucified Jesus. But the reason for all of this, Paul goes back into it again here in verse 10. He says, these things... God's plan for humanity, salvation through his son, through faith in him, and not through works. All of these things have been revealed to us through the spirit of God. We come to understand this through the spirit of God and not through our own intellect, not through our own eloquence, not through anything else, not through our smarts or our hard work. It was revealed to us. In other words, we couldn't know it. It had to be revealed to us by somebody else, by a higher power. It's like when Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, you know, John chapter 3, the famous passage about being born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, when when somebody comes to know the Lord, it's through the work of the Spirit, and, and the Spirit of God is like a wind that blows around upon whomever he pleases. And just like you can't control the wind, you can't grasp the wind, You don't know where the wind is coming from. You don't know where the wind is going. The wind does what it wants to. You, You can't grab it. You can't control it. You can't understand it. Jesus is saying that's how the Holy Spirit works as well. When somebody is born again, when somebody comes to know God, it's because the Holy Spirit came like a rushing wind into his or her heart and brought and revealed the truth of the wisdom of God to him or her. It is a work of the Holy Spirit, not through anything that we can do. Now, brothers and sisters, this is great news. This is great news. Why is it great news? Why is the Holy Spirit so uncontrollable? We don't know when he's coming and going. We don't know when he's going to lead somebody to Christ. Why is that great news? Because the great news is that ultimately evangelism, Bringing the good news of Jesus into the hearts of other people is not ultimately dependent upon us. It's not dependent upon me or you. It's not dependent on our eloquence, as I stuttered through that just now. How ironic. It's not dependent upon our eloquence. It's not dependent upon how smart we are. It's not about our status. And am I successful enough for people to want to listen to me? Am I an influential enough of a person? Ultimately, it doesn't come down to any of that. It comes down 
to the Holy Spirit's power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, we call that irresistible grace in Reformed theology. The person cannot resist the work of the Holy Spirit, and he or she says that God is real. He sent his son to die upon the cross for my sins, and Jesus was raised for my righteousness. It doesn't depend upon our eloquence or our influence. It just depends upon our faithfulness. That's what God has called us to be, faithful witnesses. And the Holy Spirit does the work of salvation. I mean, heck, even when sometimes we don't share the gospel with people, God just shows up to them in dreams and in visions. And they come to know Jesus through a dream that they had because the Holy Spirit blew upon their heart. When Paul came to the Corinthian church, as we saw last week from Pastor Sam, he says that I came to you, Corinthians. When I came to share the gospel in Corinth, I came in fear and trembling. I was not eloquent. I wasn't anybody good to look at. I wasn't attractive for any reason. But what happened? A harvest of souls and the birth of the Corinthian church. How? As Paul said, through a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's how. Not through his eloquence. In fact, if we are eloquent, if we are influential, if we are powerful, if we are rich, we can end up boasting in ourselves, in our own eloquence, our own influence, our own smarts. I led these people to Christ. I did this amazing work for God. I am such a gifted evangelist. We can actually end up boasting in ourselves rather than in God. And in chapter 1, Paul said, the reason God chooses the lowly, those who are not, not the influential, not most of you brothers, we're not powerful, we're not rich, you weren't those people, but God chose the lowly of the world so that no human being might boast. But we can all boast and say that God was the one who did it. So for us, we share the gospel, we pray, and we trust in the Holy Spirit's work. Brothers and sisters, this is such good news that God reveals salvation through his son to people. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the first point. As Paul moves on here, in the second part of verse 10, he says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." Now, Paul 
the, the theological truth that he is talking about here is absolutely mind-blowing if we, if we think about it here. What is he saying here? Not only is the Holy Spirit the one who comes and brings us into that initial saving relationship with God, right? He does that. That's how we enter into relationship with God. How, how, how we come to the place where we say, I believe Jesus is the son of God and that I'm a sinner. He died on the cross for my sins and I want to follow him. That happens, as we saw earlier, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't just end there. What happens from that point on is the Holy Spirit continues working within us in this process of growth, of Christian growth, in this process of maturation, something that us Christians would call sanctification, becoming more holy. And what happens is we begin to understand more and more how God thinks. And as we do, Paul says, we gain what is called the mind of Christ. Now, now this, this is something absolutely incredible. We begin to understand the mind of Christ. Now, when we look at this passage here, Paul uses an analogy here. He says, how does, who can know the thoughts of a person within them? Nobody can know. Only the spirit of that person within him can know his thoughts, his innermost thoughts. No, nobody knows. Nobody knows how you really feel deep inside except you yourself. Nobody knows that I am so thrilled about the Giants being 5-1 and one in this NFL season. But at the same time, there is this fear and trembling within my heart because I feel like it's a house of cards. Like it could all fall apart. Like, is this real? Is this real life? And nobody certainly knows that I look upon the Eagles with such hatred and dread, but secret admiration because they seem like they're the real deal this season. Nobody knows those things. Well, now you do, except my spirit within me. Nobody knows, brothers, that about that girl that you're thinking about and how you really feel inside and what you've been thinking about. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows these deep, deep thoughts within your heart unless you've shared it with other people. Nobody knows that except your spirit within you. In other words, you, your heart, you yourself, you're the only one that knows the deepest, darkest, brightest, whatever it might be, the deepest thoughts of your heart. Nobody else can know them. Isn't that true? Thank God, right? <laughs> Thank God nobody knows the depths of our hearts. Now, what is Paul saying? He uses this as an analogy, but look at what he says here. He says, also, with God, nobody comprehends the thoughts of God. They are so deep. They're beyond understanding. You know, the only one who can understand the thoughts and the depths of God is the Spirit of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is fully God. 
There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are three different persons, but at the same time, they are one God. We don't understand fully how this works. It's called the mystery of the Trinity, but the Holy Spirit is fully God. So because of this, he knows all the thoughts of the Father because their thoughts are all one. He understands everything about God. And now Paul amazingly, mind-blowingly says in verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Brothers and sisters, Paul is saying, you know, there, there's, there's no way, I mean, God is so far above us. How can anyone know the thoughts of God? I mean, it's just absolutely unbelievable. He who created the universe. I mean, have you seen the photos from the James Webb telescope? I mean, he made all of that. Crazy, right? That's God. How does his mind work? He knows all the secrets of the universe. We could never attain that. But Paul says the Holy Spirit, who knows all the thoughts of God because he is God, is dwelling within us. Now, when you become a Christian, not only is our spirit within us resurrected and freed from slavery to sin, the Bible says that amazingly, somehow, God, the Holy Spirit, comes and inhabits us. He is with us. His presence is within us. He dwells within us. And, and when Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, I, I think that's what he means. The Holy Spirit is here with us, and he is within us in this incredible, mind-blowing way. And what the Holy Spirit is doing is over time, as we grow and as we mature, he is revealing to us more and more the thoughts of God. He is making known to us the mind of Christ. Now, please don't misunderstand me. This does not mean that you can become omniscient. That would be heretical. That's why you didn't get a 1600 on your SATs, even though you're a Christian. We can't know all things. That's not what this means. Even if you got a 1600 on your SAT, there might be some of you in here. But it means that we can grow and gain the perspective of God more and more as we grow as a Christian. Brothers and sisters, that should blow our minds. You know, there are, there are so many people in this world that will study every aspect of famous, successful people so that they could be like them. You know, they will, they, you know, maybe somebody's, they idolize Michael Jordan. They just want to be like Mike. And they will watch videos of how he plays. They will try to emulate his every move. They will learn about Michael Jordan's um, training regimen, his routine, and they will go do that same routine in their lives. They will read every biography. They will read the autobiography if he's written one. They will try to learn about his mindset, his perspective, his philosophy in order to gain all of that. Why? So that, that they could be like Mike, so that they could throw a ball through a metal circle. They will do all of that because they want to be like this person. They want to get in his head to become like him. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says that we have within us the Holy Spirit 
that can reveal to us more and more the mind of Christ. That means that as we have the mind of Christ, you know, as we go through this life, life is sometimes difficult. Life is tricky. But you can have the mind of Christ as you enter into everything in this life. In relationships, you can have the mind of Christ. You can grow in that wisdom of understanding how I can relate to this person in a way that really loves this person, in a way that really builds him or her up and doesn't tear them down. You can give me wisdom in doing that. We can look at history, not through the perspective of of just secular authors and historians, but we see all of history through the lens of what God is doing. We can look at our very lives and think about it now through the perspective of God. We can look at our children And understand that for them, the greatest good is that they bring glory to God in their lives. Everything in our life, all of our perspective can change. You see, brothers and sisters, God doesn't want us to just be a people who obey him. But he also wants us to see as he sees. He says that we can have the mind of Christ. This is how we can live the life well lived, brothers and sisters. Isn't that what we all want? To live life well, to live life with wisdom. The Bible says that God gives us more and more the mind of Christ so we see all of life through the perspective of God so that we can live with true wisdom and make the most of our lives. What is the life well lived to you? Is it being wealthy and financially secure? Solomon tried that. He talked about that in Ecclesiastes. To paraphrase him, he said, you know what? I got so much money. Man, but you know what? I can accumulate all this money through all this work. But one day, I'm going to die, and I'm going to leave it to one of my children. And who knows if he's not going to be a fool and waste it all and blow it all down the drain. And he said, this is depressing. This is really, really depressing. Is it success in the eyes of the world? Is that the life well lived? Steve Jobs is the most successful person of our time in this area, in this place. I have an iPhone in my pocket. Maybe that's your idea of success. But I read his, his biography by Walter Isaacson before moving here. Somebody told me I should do it as homework. So I read that before coming here to Silicon Valley, to the Bay Area. And when I read his life and I read about his divorce and I read about his cold, distant relationship with his daughter and I read about those things, regardless of the fact that I have an iPhone in my pocket and I have a MacBook at home, was that really the life well lived? Because he had that worldly success? Brothers and sisters, will you be one day lying on your deathbed feeling like you wasted your opportunity in this life, filled with regret and remorse. What did I do with my time? Man, life was so short. I did not realize how quickly it would pass me by. Is that how you will be feeling? Or if you've lived the life well lived, will you be lying there content knowing that you've lived well with wisdom and that you're about to enter into eternity 
and hear the Father say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. God says, you became a Christian, that's good. That's just the beginning. I offer you a path in this life of not just living in the way that you used to live and thinking the way that you used to think, but I offer you a path of spiritual growth where you actually come to understand the way that I think more and more. You think like me. You see the world the way that I see it. You become more like me. You gain the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, he invites us to be his representatives on this world. Gurus, oracles, so to speak, of the truth of God that people can come to and come to understand, how does God think? Tell me. And we can tell them because we have gained the mind of Christ. How do we do this? We do this by studying and meditating upon the scriptures, upon the word of God with a prayerful heart, saying, God, reveal to me your heart. Reveal to me the mind of Christ. Help me to see things in the way that you do as I study and meditate upon your scriptures. Friends, did you know that most of the, 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 the major, the prestigious universities of our country were founded as seminaries, as places for theological education? Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Dartmouth, Columbia, Brown, and Oxford and Cambridge in England. These places were started as schools of theological study. Because back then, to, to, to study God, to go into theology, was the, the greatest pursuit in the eyes of the people. In fact, when you, if you couldn't get into the theology track, then you ended up going into like medicine and law or something like that. I'm not trying to say I'm better than all y'all. I'm, I'm just saying. Just saying. That's what it was back then. That's what it was back then. And Harvard was founded in 1636 with the goal of training Christian ministers. And in their rules and precepts adopted in 1646, it said this, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well. The main end of his life and studies is to know God in Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. That's what these universities were established to do. People wanted to study theology. They saw it as the highest end in life because what greater end in life could there be than to know God more, to know his wisdom, and to be able to live according to it. We know God. We, we gain the mind of Christ through studying and meditating upon his word, by praying about for understanding of its meaning, by discussing it with one another and sharpening each other. As we say, I read this passage. This is what I think it means, but I'm not quite sure. What do you think it means? And having discussions about that and not just about movies or the latest restaurants or latest shows, but discussing the scriptures with one another by sitting under biblically sound preaching and teaching, which I hope we have here. But if you were ever to leave and go to another church, that you would seek another church where the gospel is preached and taught faithfully. 
Brothers and sisters, is your Bible on the shelf collecting dust? When you look at your app for Bible reading, does it need to be downloaded again because it's been so long since you used it? Brothers and sisters, it is through the word of God that we can gain the mind of Christ and to actually think God's thoughts after him and see the world the way that he does that, the way that he does. What a precious calling God has given us. You will not find this, this wisdom, this knowledge on the New York Times bestseller list or on blogs or podcasts, but it is through the word of God. He wants us to be able to think like him and see like him. What an incredible calling he has called us to. Lastly here in verses one through four of chapter three, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now this last passage here, these four verses from um, chapter 3, I think um, they serve as a warning and as a, a sober message to us on the heels of the end of chapter 2. There is, is an incredible invitation. You as a Christian can gain the wisdom of God, the mind of Christ, and to see life and history and all of reality from his perspective. How amazing is that? But at the same time, did you know that you can shipwreck this whole process. You can stunt your spiritual growth in gaining the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You can stunt that by living according to the flesh. You can stunt it. You can derail the whole process. Paul, now getting personal with the Corinthian church, he says to them, you know, when I came to you, brothers, when I came to Corinth, and shared the gospel, at that time, I was feeding you with milk, not solid food. But that's okay, because you were babies. You were spiritual infants in Christ. I just got there. I shared the gospel. The Holy Spirit moved, and, and there was a harvest amongst you. Many of you came to know Christ, and the church was born. And at that time, you were baby Christians. You didn't hardly know anything. So I began to spoon-feed you with milk with the basic truths of the gospel and what it meant to follow God and who God is. And that's okay because you were babies in Christ. That is very, very natural. But the problem, Corinthians, is that it's been five years since then. And you know what? You haven't changed all that much. I spent 18 months with you, Corinthians, in Corinth. I planted the church. You came to know the Lord. I didn't just leave. I spent a year and a half, day and night, teaching and preaching the gospel to you to build you up and to strengthen you. Not only that, after I left, Apollos came along, 
who is a very gifted Bible teacher, and he was there teaching and building into you. And if Peter came to visit them as well, which might have been the case with some people saying, I follow Cephas, right? I follow Peter. He had, they had Peter teaching them. They had all of these things going on afterwards. And by now, it had been about four and a half to five years. And Paul says, you are still drinking milk. That's all you can handle. Brothers and sisters, you are still on the bottle. That's what Paul is saying to them. And this is not right. There is something very, very wrong when after five years, you are still on the bottle. Friends, if all you ever give a child is milk, that child will become severely malnourished. You give the baby milk for like a year or so. I don't know. It's been a long time now. I forget how long it's been. My kids are 13 and 10. You give the kid milk for a year, and then you move on to the mashed peas and carrots, and you start moving on to more and more solid food because that's the healthy, natural thing to do. The kid can't keep drinking milk forever. That's not good. That's not healthy. I realized that about myself, actually, now when I think about it. Um, I remember being on the bottle for way too long. I know things are getting real personal right now. You say, Ulysses, how can you remember that? I mean, you were a baby drinking milk. See, that's the problem. I can remember it. In fact, I look back upon my life and I remember like kicking it on my carpet at home, watching cartoons, drinking out of a bottle. And the real giveaway now as I think about it is that I was drinking fruit punch. I was drinking fruit punch. I'd moved beyond milk. I was drinking fruit punch out of a bottle. That's when I realized something was not right in the Wang household. Mom, how long was I drinking out of a bottle? I don't know if they just didn't want to fight with me and I just loved chilling and just laying back and drinking. I just remember drinking orange juice out of a bottle. Man, I was on it too long, which is why my teeth have an overbite to this day. I was sucking on that bottle for way too long. There was something wrong. I should have been off of that. Paul is saying to these Corinthians, look, you, you can't, you're still on this milk. This is a problem. You're not going to gain the mind of Christ. Why does he say this about them? What makes him say this? Well, he says it's evident because there's still jealousy and strife among them. He goes back to chapter one. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. Oh, yeah, well, I follow Jesus Christ. Division, strife, factionalism, envy. They were living in this fleshly way. And because of that, it was derailing their ability to grow and to gain the mind of Christ. And, you know, it doesn't just have to be jealousy and strife. But it can be any fleshly living, brothers and sisters. It can be idolatry. It can be pride. It can be greed. It can be fear. It can be lust. All sorts of fleshly living that as we pursue that path, we fail to grow in gaining the mind of Christ. Just yesterday, in our daily Bible reading, read in Psalm 115, the psalmist wrote this. He said, about people who commit idolatry, who worship idols. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, 
but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. What's he saying? They're, they're, a, they're a piece of stone. They're a chunk of wood. They can't really see. They can't talk. They can't smell. They have no senses about them. Well, guess what? When you make them, when you worship them, you become like them. You become like them. You become desensitized to God. You can no longer see God. You can no longer hear God. You can no longer feel God. You become like what you worship, whether it's money or lust, fleshly pleasures, your fears becoming bigger than God, your career, success, whatever it is that we indulge in the flesh, we end up no longer being able to see and hear God. We become more and more hardened in heart and desensitized, and we have less and less the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, if we want to gain the mind of Christ, not only do we need to study the scriptures and meditate upon it and pray through it, but we also need to resist the flesh in the idols in our life because those things throw us off from trusting God and becoming like him. Let me close here with a passage from Hebrews chapter 5, which um, it's probably one of the reasons people think that Paul might have been one of the leading candidates who have written the letter to the Hebrews. But it says this, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, again, being able to see as God sees, discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Brothers and sisters, this is the exact opposite of living according to the flesh. It's taking the word of God that you study and that you read and that you memorize, that you discuss with others, and you over and over and over again, and you say, I'm going to try to put this into practice. I'm going to try to live this out. And as you do, and as you live that out, and as you live by faith in the spirit and not by the flesh, you come to train yourself to understand what is good and what is evil. You come to gain the mind of Christ over time as you walk according to the wisdom of God. It comes through studying and knowing the word of God and putting it into practice and saying, I will live by this word and not by my flesh. Brothers and sisters, I invite the worship team up at this time. I just want to challenge you this morning, and I want to encourage you. Maybe, are you here this morning, and as you examine yourself, as you look at yourself, you say, you know, I've been a Christian maybe for quite a while. Maybe it's a couple of years, maybe it's five years, maybe it's 20 years, as long as you can remember. But if you're here this morning, and, and maybe some of you are saying, you know, I just, I, 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 I feel like I haven't grown that much. 
I feel like, why is it that I keep kind of struggling with the same old things? And, and I kind of feel like I'm in the same place. But you've heard countless sermons. You have gone to retreats and you have a stack of booklets this high with notes and you have Christian books at home. What's going on? Why am I still on this milk instead of the solid food? Brothers and sisters, let us commit ourselves to knowing the word of God, to gaining the wisdom of Christ, and to also putting into practice, resisting the things of the flesh, whether it's strife and envy or pride and fear and idolatry or greed. Brothers and sisters, God, the offer, what he wants is unbelievable. He says, you can gain the mind of Christ. You can think like me. You can become like me in how I see this world. I don't just want you to obey. I want you to see. Brothers and sisters, he wants us to see. He wants us to understand. He doesn't want us to mindlessly say, oh, God said I need to do that, so I guess I will. I'll drag my feet, oh, because I need to obey. No, he wants to, he wants to open our eyes to how good the wisdom of God is to become like him in his thoughts. He says, come to my word. Come and understand. My Holy Spirit is working within you to give you more of my mind. He's living within you. Brothers and sisters, let's come before him and say, Lord, do your work in me. Work through your word. Help me. Lord, this day, Lord God, I renew my commitment to resist the flesh. This day, brothers and sisters, maybe there's something that you need to repent of. You need to turn from. You say, yeah, that's what's been keeping me in this milk. God, that strife and that envy. God, that, that lust. Lord, that materialism, that fear of man, that desire for success, that desire to be seen as wise in the eyes of the world, that's what's been keeping me from really gaining the mind of Christ. God, would you free me of that flesh within me? I want to go through this life seeing as you see so that I can live the life well lived. Let's stand, brothers and sisters. And even as we worship the Lord, as we worship the Lord this morning, in prayer, in prayer, may we come before the Lord seeking that change, seeking that change.